What are the myths that are keeping us from achieving real healthcare reform? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement that helps small and mid-market companies escape the fully insured marketplace and delivers stability, control, and savings without watering down employees' benefits or increasing their premium share. If you have clients in the educational institution or the engineering vertical, go to our website at CaptivatedHealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're pleased to welcome Greg Scandlin. Greg is a longtime observer, analyst, and thought leader in our industry, and he's the author of a great new book that everybody who practices in this area ought to have on their bookshelves. It's called Mythbusters, Why Health Reform Always Goes Awry. And with that, welcome, Greg. Thanks, David. A little bit first about your background, if you will. We all travel circuitous paths, but you've got a, kind of a unique and interesting background to be able to write this kind of a book. Right. Well, well, I am one of the many leeches off the healthcare system. <laughs> I, I, I've had nothing to do with patients or anything. And one of my general complaints is that there, there, there are too many damn people like me that are taking money out of healthcare and not doing anything for patients. My background was I started with a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan up in Maine, worked in the research department there for five years, was recruited by the National Blue Cross Association to come down to Washington and do state affairs with them did that for eight years. They seemed to be going solidly towards managed care, which I thought was just a terrible decision. It completely undermined any credibility that the insurance industry had. So I left there in 1991 to start the Council for Affordable Health Insurance, which was a trade association of smaller health insurance companies, most of which don't exist anymore. And we work. I work very closely with Pat Rooney from Golden Rule, to get medical savings accounts passed in 1996. And after that, I started my own consulting firm to help companies set up MSAs. That didn't go real well because of the restrictions of the medical savings account law that Congress passed. So I got into the think tank business, and I worked for a while for Cato. I worked for the Galen Institute, the National Center for Policy Analysis. And finally, I started my own grassroots organization, Consumers for Healthcare Choices, trying to encourage defined contribution and generally the movement to put the money back in the hands of consumers and let them spend it the way they want. Before I retired, we merged with the Heartland Institute in Chicago, and then I retired, and I've been doing a little bit of commentary and consulting on the side ever since then. So it's been a... You know, we were talking off air, you and I have been at this for about the same amount of time. And so I ask you the question, and we've both seen a lot of this stuff come and go, why this book at this time? Because of the idea that people who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And I see too much of that going on, frankly, on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, that through all these years, and it's coming up, up on 40 years now, people jump on bumper sticker slogans, turn it into an icon. 
They ignore all contrary evidence and just push for everything that supports that bumper sticker slogan. And we end up with very bad policy that is thought up by some smart guys in Washington or at Harvard University and is inflicted on everybody else. And those smart guys that inflicted on everybody else never have to live with what they've done. They just go on their merry way, having been well paid for their effort, and uh, look for the next thing to mess up. And and it's a dismal, dismal record of failure over the past 40 years. I say in the blurb in the book that everything that's been done in the past 40 years has failed, and not only failed to deliver what was promised, but actually made things worse than it was before the reform was instituted. Yeah, you know, it's funny. As I, as I read the book, I thought the subtitle could have been the definition of insanity because we just keep doubling down on on bad ideas. So let, let's wind the clock back even before you or I had got into the business. You talk about 30 myths in the book, but you start with what I think is probably the poisonous tree from which a lot of the subsequent fruit has come, which is something called Romer's Law. What is that and why does, why does it matter so much? Well, as I say in the book, everyone who has studied health economics or health policy in an academic setting will be able to tell you in an instant, Romer's Law means a built bed is a filled bed. That is the first example that I use of the bumper sticker slogans. What that means is that there is an unlimited demand. All providers have to do, there's unlimited demand, virtually unlimited money, and any provider that wants to get rich simply provides more services, and uh, people will suck them up uh, without end. And the basis for this so-called law is a single study that Milt Romer did in 1959, where he he found there was a correlation between the number of beds available per person and the number of days consumed. And he decided that that meant providers, particularly physicians, were were enriching themselves by needlessly hospitalizing hapless patients. Everybody jumped on that idea. All of a sudden, the doctors were the bad guys in the healthcare system. And for the past, like I say, 40 years, they've been trying to find a way of controlling doctors so that they would not exercise Romer's Law and uh, just, just fill up all the beds that are there. Now, Romer's Law is statistically untrue. (laughs) Hospital occupancy varies all over the place, and it varies from time to time and place to place. And if Romer's law were true, then hospital occupancy should be approached 100% at all times. But in fact, it ranges. And I have some statistics in the book that show the range between different states and different periods of time over the past 30 years. And And it's simply not true. And it's also simply not true that people just love going to the hospital and are looking for any opportunity to do it. Hospitals are rotten places to spend time. No one wants to go go into a hospital if they don't have to. Well, and by way of background, there, there, everybody should know, everybody listening should know, there are tons of statistics and footnotes and detail in the book. We're going to stay high level because our time only permits us to do that. But do pick up the book. There will be a link in the show notes for you if, if you want to buy the book. I want to kind of fast forward a little bit to more recent times. And so let's hit 65, 1965, and talk about what happened after Medicare and, and kind of the, the, as you call it, the wrong turn that, that we took. Medicare involved an enormous influx of money into the healthcare system for both the federal and state government, because Medicare and Medicaid were both passed at the same time. 
So the state started making their contribution towards Medicaid expenses and the feds towards Medicare and Medicaid. And the the number of dollars being pumped into healthcare just escalated enormously. Not surprisingly, with all this new money, the demand for services increased. There is a stark panic among the health policy community about this increase in healthcare spending. Now, why this surprised them, I can't imagine. I mean, if you if you start appropriating billions and billions of dollars, there will be an increase in healthcare spending. I mean, it's uh, should be fairly obvious. But to try to control that spending, they decided to institute a national system of health planning that would reduce the number of services available to people, control hospital construction, uh, 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 reduce the number of labs available, you know, just just soup to nuts, reducing healthcare services. Now, of course, when there's increased demand because of all this new money and you're trying to reduce services, you're doing exactly the wrong thing. Fewer services and higher demand result in higher prices. I mean, most people learn this in Econ 101, but the policy community seemed to completely escape them. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects in the education and engineering verticals. The founders of Captivated Health have 35 years' experience working with healthcare and benefit clients, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems mid-market clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace. Until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems and does so with virtually no disruption to employees while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to your education and engineering clients that you advise. To learn more about Captivated Health's solution, Go to our website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on our logo on the Shift Shapers website. We talk about the, the, the health policy community, and you mentioned that in the book a few times. So who are the folks who are making all this nonsense up and trying to sell it as fact? Generally, they're, they're academics. They're based in, in the major universities, uh, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and some of the smaller universities. They earn PhDs in healthcare economics. And uh, they need to find a way of justifying their PhDs, so they look for things to do. <laughs> and I know a lot of these people, and obviously they can't all be employed in universities, so they end up being uh, working for government agencies and, and specifically for state and federal programs, or the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Hartford Foundation, the Commonwealth Fund, all these different organizations that are there to that exist to reform the American healthcare system. Uh, they're very well paid for their money. They have annual meetings where they all get together on their latest research project and, and look for ways of writing new grants so they can get new money. And they need to have a sense of a constant crisis to justify their work. So they look for things that they can turn in, into a crisis. And one year, it is the crisis of uncompensated care, and the next year, it's a crisis of the uninsured, where the next year, it may be, and I don't go into this 
in the book, but but the crisis of disparate treatment between African Americans and whites in the healthcare system, and it's just one thing after another. And they do this to keep themselves employed, and they're very well employed. And as I say, their remedies never work because they don't look at all the evidence, and they don't have a dispassionate view of of what's going on in the healthcare system. And they tend to look for someone to blame, and it's usually the doctors that, they, that get the blame. One of the examples of that is what you call the hysteria over the uninsured. And I know that that drove an awful lot of the ACA, the early ACA debate. What was that based on, or le- at least allegedly based on? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, in fact, the uninsured has never been a growing problem. In fact, in from 1987 to 2012, every year, year in and out, the number of people that have health insurance coverage is about 84% of the population. The number of people that don't is about 16% of the population. It is the flattest trend you could ever imagine in human behavior. It is not a growing problem. It's never been a growing problem. It is a consequence of, of a fluid and dynamic economic system, particularly where we have coverage that's mostly based on on where you work. So anytime you change jobs, you will lose your insurance coverage. I mean, it just as a matter of course. Now, there are some people that are chronically uninsured because they can't cope with an insurance mechanism. They may be illiterate or drug addicted. There are a lot of reasons for it. But, but, but it is not the great national crisis because what they do is they go down to the emergency room when they're feeling poorly and get services, and they're doing that whether they're insured or not. Even today, the use of the emergency room, even with under Obamacare, has actually increased because these folks are not capable of making a doctor's appointment and keeping it. They don't take the recommended drugs. They, they, there's a percentage of the population that simply needs health care services minus the insurance side of it. And that will never change. Interesting. And so it, it was used nevertheless as a, as a pretext to try to rally votes. And, and that goes on an awful lot. Uh, another one of those concepts and something you talk about in the book that's used and frankly completely misused is this whole notion of adverse selection. We spend a minute talking about what people think adverse selection is and what it really is. <laughs> well, obviously adverse selection happens all the time, but it's it's one side of a coin. The other side is favorable selection. So when you have a competitive system, if an insurance company attracts the good risks, they have favorable selection. If they attract the bad risks, they have, they have adverse or unfavorable selection. That's just the way it goes. And it is actually what is considered a problem is not a problem because what's going on is that people will choose the benefits and the companies that are most suitable to their needs. You know, So people with a lot of healthcare problems will load up on rich benefits. People with fewer healthcare problems will opt for a uh, less expensive product. And that's just kind of in human nature. Now, there are some ways of dealing with adverse selection or, or with selection generally, which is don't allow people to select, in which case you have the opposite problem of moral hazard. So if everyone is required to buy the same generous benefits, then the people that would not otherwise have bought them will buy them, 
and having bought them, they will use them. <laughs> so if I'm required to buy psychiatric social work services and I've already paid for it in my premium, I don't see any reason not to go ahead and visit a psychiatric social worker because it's already paid for. And so moral hazard is the opposite side of selection. And it's both things are a consequence of too much insurance. I mean, if I am just simply paying for as many services as I can directly out of my own pocket, then I'm going to be very cautious about how I spend my money. But if it's covered by an insurance policy, all that caution goes out the window and I'll, I will overconsume services every time. That's the other people's money phenomenon. Greg, we, we've got about a minute and a half or two minutes left, and we, we like to wrap up. There's so much in the book that I'd love to talk about. But I, again, I encourage listeners to go pick up a copy of the book because it, it's a great reference to have. Where do you see the future going? Are, are we going to get out of this kind of spiral of health reform going awry? Is there an opportunity, a real opportunity to make some changes in a positive way? Or are we, we just doomed to keep doing this? I think there has to be because all of this is simply not working. And my very quick solution is to give people back their money and let them buy the services that they value. Every penny that goes into healthcare right now is coming from us in the form of taxes, insurance premiums, or lost income on the job. And if we were spending our own money, then we could buy, buy whatever insurance seems to be appropriate for us, or we could buy services directly from doctors and hospitals. And if you removed all those administrative costs from the system, those services would be a lot less expensive than they are today. And sooner or later, we will get to that. Absolutely. A great place to end our interview. The book is called Mythbusters, Why Health Reform Always Goes Awry, written by Greg Scanlon. Greg, thank you for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.